Hello, my name is Michael McLennan, and welcome to COVID Matters, the podcast produced by COVIDAID. This episode features the live Q&A we hosted in our COVID-19 support community, featuring Andy Langford, who is Clinical Director for Cruise Bereavement Support. They are the UK's leading bereavement charity and help people through some of the most painful times of life with bereavement support, information and campaigning. I hope you enjoy our chat and I'll be back afterwards with more details about both Cruise and COVID aid. To begin with, it would be great to know more about your own background and the work that you're doing with Cruise. Sure. Well, thanks so much, Michael. Look, it's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you so much for having me and welcome everyone, really. So, um, so in terms of my own background, I've been clinical director in Cruise and, and I've been part of Cruise for about six and a half years. I've had other posts within it that are more operational. Um, but my background really is in counselling, cognitive behavioural therapy, clinical supervision um, and coaching as well. So I've been practising as a, a counsellor for oh, since 2003 and working in bereavement around then alongside other related needs too. Um, so very much within that, but also within sort of service design. Uh, and and so, so where, where my heart is, is, is considering the individual, but also how people's needs can be met in a whole system, because that's, that tends to be where we find ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's where I would come from around broadly. Um, and my position in, in Cruise really is around how we at Cruise can deliver services that are right for bereaved people at the right time. Um, which obviously is multifaceted. You know, there's a lot of what we know from bereavement is that we all need different support at different times. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware there is such a wide range of things that we can speak about, especially in the kind of shorter space of time. But I was wondering, to begin with, what are some of the ways in which COVID-19 has affected how people have been experiencing grief and bereavement? Sure. I mean, I'm sure if we, if we spoke with them, each individual, they'd have their own story, and I just wanted to attest to that. So... Um, the the themes I'm talking about are really a conglomeration of what people have been telling us uh, across across crews through a number of different channels like the helpline or local services, um, you know even our chat function, uh, what happens on social media as well, and 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 by and large, one of the differences that people have found uh, when they've been bereaved during COVID nineteen uh, or by COVID nineteen during lockdown is that often those bereavements have had a suddenness to them, which is different from what many people have experienced previously. It's not denied, obviously, you know, we've worked with people who um, are in, of, have been bereaved through road traffic accidents, homicide, suicide, um, sudden infant death. All of these are very sudden, obviously. But there's a suddenness as well to do with, with COVID-related deaths where it's not unusual for people to find that the experience of that bereavement is, is, is really immediate. So, so that might involve things like somewhat a, a couple um, being in their home, one of them is taken away in order to be hospitalised and treated for COVID, to then, for then their, their, their partner to find that they've died in hospital. So often that suddenness is exacerbated by another factor, which is that generally people... Um, with such a death, people haven't had the um, the experience of being with that person when they've died um, uh, in a way they would want to. Uh, and also, the the mourning period afterwards hasn't been 
the way people have wanted to often. You know, we obviously we're in a bit a bit more freedom now, but uh, and that's that's that has restrictions too. But of course, back in those um, sort of initial lockdowns, we were seeing that there were the limits on amount of people at funerals, different types of ceremonies for people who observe a particular type of practical tasks leading up to a funeral, like like washing of the body. That was very restricted. All these things have affected ways in which people can can mourn and grieve. And, and that really, really matters to people. So they're just two big factors alone. You know, I could also talk about how um, you know, the, the sense of isolation people have come towards and experienced at this time because of COVID and also those lockdowns, when essentially it's not been possible to seek the support and get the support and give the support that we would normally want uh, when we've experienced a bereavement, which which is, as you rightly say, Michael, you know, we work with people at what can be some of the most painful times in their lives. So that pain can feel amplified too. They're just, mm. they're just sort of three broad examples, really. Yeah, and I know we've got some questions from the community later that reflect uh, some of those issues that you spoke about. Um, I think it would be good to speak about self-care and how we can help each other. Um, so what does grief commonly look like in this time? Um, I mean, in, in terms of what it looks like now in the, in the, in the times of, of, of bereavement through uh, COVID, it can, as ever, look like a number of things. The grief, the grief what we need to remember is that there's, there's no set way of grieving. So um, we find this in family units and friendship groups all the time. We find it now as well. One person might really want to speak about what's happened um, due to the death of, of someone who's close to them or what, ha what happened around that. Someone else in the same family, in the same household, might want to do exactly the opposite, might want complete silence. Um, and people want different things at different times. So the first thing to remember is there's no set way to grieve. There's no right way to grieve. And we need different things at different times. So in answer to your question, it's going to look different, at different for different people at different points. Um, it's, it's, not, it's very usual to experience different forms of emotion, so anger, guilt. It's, a, it's, it's quite normal to feel shocked, particularly in those initial times, um, to, to have a sense of numbness as well. And what, what, we, what we need to remember is that actually grief is a very physical process. It happens to us physically. A lot goes on in our brain during a period of grief. And so that affects our body. So, you know, a, a classic example would be, for instance, someone returning to work, is that it's really difficult to concentrate if you're experiencing those, that, a severe level of grief. It can be hard literally to, to concentrate on one or two sentences. You have to find you go back to the beginning to try and understand them. That can be quite debilitating if you if you're trying to manage your home, if you go into work and your, your, your job involves processing complex information, if you're trying to look after a family, you're trying to look after young children, that, that's really, really difficult. So that can be one of those things. Of course, what happens when we, when we can't do that effectively? We experience symptoms of anxiety. So, so once again, that sort of palpitating heart, feeling hot and sweaty, trembling, not being able to sleep at night, all of these things add, you know, and then we get those thoughts around, well, actually, I'm inadequate. I can't do this. I can't stop thinking about the person who's died. But at the same time, I need to try and manage my life. And I'm finding I'm not able to do that. So all of these things interplay with each other. So 
in, a, in essence, it can be, it can be quite complex. Uh, and that obviously can then result in us feeling down, feeling low in mood. Um, all of this, all of these aspects are, uh, is a whole range of how we normally grieve, you know, so it can be quite complex, as you say, really, really difficult time for people. And of course, that's when we can often need access to the people we love and we trust the most, who we know have our back. Um, and also it's at those times when, for some of us, we don't want to necessarily associate with people and it can feel like, like I want to be, I don't want to be with anyone, but also I'm very, very, I feel very, very lonely. That can be another aspect too. Mm -hmm. um, so it can be multifaceted, I guess is what we're saying. And I guess from that, then that also means that sometimes people can feel like they may be okay and they've got over the worst of it and then something triggers them or they then experience different types of emotion then? Well, triggering is a really, really good example there, Michael. So what we'd say at Cruise is that grief is timeless. What we mean by that is there isn't a set time when you think, oh, actually, I'm over this now. You know, certainly I'm talking to a number of, of people who bereaved just over this past month and they'd, they'd say, actually, the idea of getting over someone who I love so much would seem completely absurd, would seem almost offensive. So actually, you don't necessarily want to get over someone. The, the, the idea is really, or what can be most helpful, is to be supported in trying to work out, actually, how do I carry on living and crafting my own life and the life of those around me, whilst also remembering the person who's died? Because if they've if they've meant so much to us and we've meant so much to them they've impacted on who we are then actually it's about taking their memory with us and finding ways of remembering someone um instead of trying to get over and and then you are going to get to that that those points where there might be a trigger of strong memories of, of like memories that are emotional to us um and that's entirely understandable and we might need to give ourselves some extra time, a bit of extra support over that period. Um, but that it's not unusual to experience that, for instance, at birthdays or perhaps the first Christmas after someone's died. Um, Mother's Day is, is a, or Father's Day are big times for people when they contact crews as well. Um, and there can breathe, even be things like when you have a common ex an experience that you've had that's common with the person who's died and you, try, and you do that again or you engage in that with someone else. And actually, then you find those memories come flooding back. So if you know you're going towards that situation, it is important to think about how can I support myself and how can other people support me in this? Mm -hmm. And I guess one of my thoughts previously or what I'd heard about was the kind of grieving process and stages of grief. But from what you're saying, then it's, it's more complicated than that. It's not necessarily that you'll go through certain stages one after another. Yeah, absolutely. You, you don't go through stages in a very, very systematic process. It's, it's a different journey for different people. That model that you're describing there, those stages of grief, it's a really, really good model. Um, but actually, it was formulated working in palliative care. Um, it was actually for people helping them work out what was going on for them when they were approaching death. It wasn't necessarily about how we experience bereavement individually. There are other models that we um, the helpers understand and one of those would talk about how some days we or some hours we feel like we we are just immersed in that grief and we want to cry we want to remember the person who's died or we don't and that's distressing in itself 
we're, we're sort of fully immersed in that grief. Other times, we actually can feel like we want to be active and get out and carry on with life, or that we feel we need to. And we broadly gravitate between the two. And actually moving between one and another and trying to do a bit of both is entirely normal. Sometimes we find we get stuck in one and that's when we need some support in, 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 in being there and maybe remembering the person who's died, whilst also, for instance, uh, you know, trying to get into work or, or trying to run the family um, or trying to, trying to pay the bills. You know, making sure that life continues going, and so going between those two, actually quite a normal, normal but difficult experience where we sometimes need support. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, in terms of with friends and loved ones, uh, like we were saying, it's been a very complicated time, and some people will be seeing maybe for the first time in a while or in person, either on Zoom or vice versa. So, what uh, do I or do we need to look out for to know when somebody's kind of suffering and needs needs help or support? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the first thing I would say is that um, instead of looking out for specifics initially, actually look out for the person. So if you know someone's experienced a bereavement, then, then, then please do reach out. You know, one of the things that I've certainly found, you know, I've experienced bereavements in the past. My, my dad died six years ago before Christmas. Um, and one of the things that was most touching for me is when I went back into work, people asked about me and about that bereavement. Now, of course, you would you would definitely expect that from a bereavement charity, wouldn't you? You know, but but actually, it was it was really lovely to see that people were not um, were not hesitant about coming up to me to reach out, and that really helped me. So so actually, what we know, and we know this with a lot of research around this too, is that actually we need to look out for each other first and foremost. And if we know someone's experienced that type of loss, reaching out and saying, actually, I heard what's happened. Just want to, I just want to say I'm here for you. You know, don't know what that might look like, but I'm here and I hear you. You might, you know, you might need some support or you might need some help. You might need whatever you need. I'm here for really, if I can help. So, so that's, that's the sort of the first thing really. However, sometimes we struggle and that gets, beyond what you would call sort of normative grief even though any grief can be difficult and that's when that grieving gets more embedded and it affects us in quite profound ways which means that then it's it, life can become really really hard um, so, so one of those things can be if if someone's really struggling in maintaining life and finding it difficult to hold things together um, which is understandable but also someone might need some extra support there. It might be that, that someone's becoming isolated and they're starting to withdraw from a lot of those, that's those social circles that would really, really help them. So there's that too. Um, also, as I said before, it's entirely understandable to feel low, to feel down when someone's died, who we love, um, or who we've had a really close bond with, um, even if we haven't got on with them. That's entirely understandable. You can have a close bond with someone, but not necessarily um, be harmonious. Um, having sort of significant guilt, or if someone's blaming themselves for that death, then that can that can be really really painful to to be with and live with. That might be a, an indicator that someone needs some more support. But then, but then also, if someone's saying that 
they're feeling like life is becoming meaningless, that they, it's difficult to sort of find hope in life. It might even be that someone's expressing sort of thoughts around not wanting to be around anymore. Um, but perhaps they're experiencing thoughts around harming themselves. Um, then that, those types of things are important to look out for, to think actually this person might need some extra support, you know, from organisations like Cruise or another one where they can reach out and get some professional help. And then in terms of speaking to somebody about this, and I, I think you address that slightly, but I know myself, I've sometimes not known quite what to say and sometimes not said anything for that reason, which I realised retrospect was not the right approach to take or not what I would have liked to do. So what are the kind of best ways of speaking to people about this or reaching out yeah. to people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we do the best we can, don't we? Really at any given time, I think. Um, and then look back and think, oh, if only I'd have done this, this and this. You know, we always learn from the past, can't we? I think that the, the first thing that the bereaved people continue to tell us, continue to tell me what I find, is that actually knowing that someone is present, even if I don't want them there and then, is really, really supportive. So it is important to just communicate. And it can be verbally, it can be text, email, it can be whatever manner just to say, look, I'm, I'm here for you if you need me. You know, I know things might be, they might be difficult at any point. Please do come and talk to me. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can convey it like that, you know, in those, in those types of words. You can even convey it through a gift or through something material, something that really matters. I've certainly seen in our neighbourhood around about here, in those earlier parts of the, the lockdown, that some people in this street even there, had experienced a bereavement. I saw folk dropping food parcels round, um, not knowing what to say, but dropping a gift round, saying, "Just, I just want to communicate I care. Um, the second thing, actually one of the first things you can say, is actually offer condolence. And so in, in whatever words seem natural to you or as, as natural as possible, I'm really sorry to hear about your, about your loss. Um, to express some sorrow in hearing about it is important it's an acknowledgement it's not to say you're i'm sorry therefore it's somehow my fault absolutely not what it is is that you're expressing that that you hear that it it may be difficult for someone now and you're acknowledging the death of some of, of the person who's no longer with them and and, and that's really important in, in indicating that actually actually i see you you know i, I hear you um otherwise uh you know, certainly what someone told me a couple of months ago was actually it feels like it's you've just been discounted and you're not there and neither was the person who died and, and no one wants to do that do they you know so so it's 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 showing that you're present and offering that condolence both of those things are really important the other thing i would just add is that that then if someone says no i'm all right for now that was for that point and you know if we're bereaved it can be difficult to know what we need and what we want at any given time, it can feel quite overwhelming or quite numbing sometimes. So, so it, it's important then if you've checked back one, if you checked once, go and check back again. You know, at some point, just say, actually, if you're still here. You know, there's anything you need, happy to talk or just be. That's okay. You know, there isn't the right thing to say. It's really about communicating that, some, that someone isn't alone. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the, um aspects of personal experience and grief and bereavement. Uh, at COVID-Aid right now, we've been speaking more about self-care 
given another you know really challenging period and i'm sure there'll be some more of those to come so what are the ways in which people can practice self-care and look after themselves when they're experiencing grief and bereavement yeah absolutely so there's a number of practical things we can do um one of the first things is is try and um give yourself a bit of time take some time to to work out um, as much as possible what you might need because your needs will be individual be different at different times and give yourself some space for that so of course there are times when you do need to mobilize and get up and think actually i'm going to do this there are other times when you need to sit back and rest um, and, and give yourself some space for your brain to process what's going on so it's important to, to take that time that you, that you need and give yourself some space you know over over sort of high points of the year if you like like you know christmas is an example as i say mother's day is coming up sooner you know we, we have advised people sometimes even though the rest of society you might think are doing one thing you might need to do something else you know you might need to have a quiet time you might need to have lots of people around do what is right for you at that point the one of the other things is is you will sometimes feel like you want to have contact with people other times you don't and that's all understandable um, we'd encourage you not to burn bridges so there may be people that you love and you trust but you don't want to see at the moment that's understandable what we would then encourage is to say look keep in contact um because it's a it's it seems to be a sad fact but often people forget it's not intentional but sometimes people's lives literally move on and for that, that person bereaved it feels like it doesn't because of course they're stuck with that bereavement so 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 keeping that contact so to, it, it, to be honest with you people don't forget you know so so that can be really important too another element can be around keeping a routine so and i know this is a real challenge when there might be restrictions and lockdowns and maybe if you're feeling if you've got an enhanced vulnerability um physically it can be hard to get out in the same way that you would not have normally wanted to previously but actually having a routine in a day is really important that routine it it will probably be disrupted by a significant bereavement you know it might be that your routine included the person who died in which case that's really jolting isn't it because your daily routine is no longer what it was but trying to craft one that involves some some um sort of basics really like being able to have time for rest time to sleep even though even if you find you can't um time to eat once again even if you find you can't having that structure really helps time to contact other people time to be alone time for a bit of exercise and if it's possible getting out and about all of these things help maintain a fairly healthy lifestyle and, and that will then help maintain us in that bereavement so so having that having that structure is is is, is really really helpful and then the other thing i would just say is if you do find that it's getting more complex for you, that actually those troubling feelings and thoughts are persisting, you find yourself becoming more and more isolated. One of the best things you can do that's, that's as a way of self-care is reaching out for help. So whether, say, whether it's contacting crews, contacting a friend or family member, you know, contacting your GP, um, whoever you might feel comfortable with, in order to get that support and just say, look, I need some help now then that is entirely understandable, entirely fine. And it's one of the best ways to support yourself. We all need support at some point, don't we? Yeah, most, most, most certainly. 
Um, one thing I was wondering, with um, recent headlines, there's been a public kind of outpouring of anger in the kind of political sphere, which I won't go into, but I was wondering what ways might there be for dealing with things like this when you've lost somebody and there's a real, um, yeah, kind of anger kind of rising? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are all affected by those people around us. And I think one of the... Um, one of the blessings, but also one of the challenges of our modern age is we get lots of information, don't we? And we get lots of information about everything from everywhere. You know, if you're keen into social media, you're receiving loads of this. There's lots of different ways in which we, we, we get those channels. And as, as you said there, Michael, you know, when we see something in the, in the public sphere, it affects us, and, and understandably so. We also might have a lot of anger, guilt, shame, and all sorts of things ourselves. So... You know, one of those, one of the things we can do once again is take a bit of time to try and step back and think, actually, what's this about? Um, because it may be that something's going on wider, but actually we have we have our own burden to bear, we have our own emotions we feel, and they might well be about, for instance, the person who's died or the situation that we are in as a result of that bereavement. Um, you know, it's very, it's very um usual for us to have people phone our helpline saying, actually, I've experienced a bereavement and uh, I'm now in more debt, you know, I've got some financial problems or there's some housing issues. So bereavement is not usually the only thing. There's usually other practical things too, and they can evoke a number of responses. So first thing is take a bit of time, try and sort of work out where that's coming from and, what, and then what you need to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, once again, I would say it's entirely normal and it's a really good way of helping us cope ourselves if we need to work something out with someone else. You know, do reach out. But if you find that people are not perhaps available as you would want them to be, either reach out to them again or contact a support service to help because trying to work through what that anger might be, what might be going on for you. Sometimes we need to, what's called externalize that. Sometimes we need to talk it out or write it out um, in order to try and get a perspective. And that's that's what a lot of our support is about cruise really you know is 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 being there to hear people so that when then when when we've talked it out it feels like it makes a little more sense it starts to you know it starts to order itself it becomes a little more manageable sometimes when we talk through and that's what we're doing it's not all in our heads or all in our hearts rather so so that 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 can be really really helpful too um so just a few a few sort of tactics really i think that's helpful yeah, most definitely. And on the subject of talking about things, and we've had some questions from our community. And if anybody else here right now has questions, please just let us know in the chat. Um, but the first of those questions is from Maria. And she asks, how can we help people through the grieving process while having PTSD? Um, she says, I feel I'm stuck when one trauma triggers another and a grief of past loved ones resurfaces with new grief. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, ju just for clarity, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, um, for those that, that might not have been aware. And, and what's, what's quite common with that, I mean, obviously, lots of, there's lots of things that happen around that. But what's quite common is, is if someone's experienced something traumatic um, that has a very physical effect on them, often it's physical as well as, as, as it evokes a number of sort of feelings like feeling anxious or feeling very, uh, very down. Um, if someone's experienced like a, a traumatic event, something else can then happen 
which puts them right back in that situation so they can start to re-experience those um those those often physical um physical sensations uh, or they find they're acting in a certain way which is similar to how they acted um, in order to survive basically you know in the, in the initial situation and what we would say by that is that if you find yourself in such a situation it is important to go to your gp and talk with them about it or if you're if you've got another contact in in health to speak with them the, the reason is because ptsd has got a number of layers to it you know there's an emotional response there's thoughts that happen but it's also a very physical thing and there's a number of of help points there's a number of treatments that are available that can help ptsd there's a lot of evidence for it so going to your gp asking about that is is really important because also i would just add as a final point sometimes talking through a traumatic situation can be helpful for some people for some it can re-trigger that difficulty and put them right back in that situation again so it is important that that you get con you get contact with health and really have something around you that's going to support to support you fully mm -hmm. and uh, emma asks um how can we help people who are experiencing anticipatory grief in the age of covid for example for the families who have lost loved ones in icu etc uh, what helps available for those anticipating bereavement yeah absolutely we'll get into know a bit more about what anticipatory grief actually means for people and you know for those that have not come across that um that before what what that essentially is is that it's when you're anticipating the death of someone close and and you as a person who may who will probably be affected what that's like leading up to it so you're you're on that bereavement journey um and the person who you're close to hasn't died so and, and actually this is something mo many of us will experience you know there's there's a lot more people who will who are who are dying through uh, whilst they're in palliative care. That's often the process, isn't it? You know, we, we see people who, who are close to us um, and, and for many of us ourselves, our health will, will, our physical health will gradually diminish over time. Um, but, and then we'll reach a point where we're very vulnerable and might need some extra support or care or whatever. Um, and if someone's got a, a, a lifelong illness, we might see that deteriorate or their condition deteriorate. So, so they're the type of situations people experiencing anticipatory grief might find themselves. And what we, the best way to sort of support with that is, is, is pretty much in similar ways to how we'd support someone who's experienced a, a bereavement already. And that is to make sure that you're communicating your presence, to be um, available at different, uh, uh, in an ongoing way, um, to show that you care, to show that you, you might not have the right words, but to show that you're there for them. Um, and, and also, at those times, particularly leading up to when there's more vulnerability for the person who is who's eventually going to die, to actually be at a point where you can practically offer support. You know, if you're in a position maybe where you can you can get some food in, you can offer some childcare, you can offer lifts and things like that. When when the person who is is entering those most most difficult stages is getting more and more vulnerable, it's often those around them that need that practical support to keep life going whilst also caring for or visiting the person who's who's in those final stages and so that that that, that practical help can be really 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 helpful too it can be really useful too um so the other thing i would say for someone who's who's ex, who's experiencing anticipatory grief 
as difficult as it might be, there's a lot of evidence to say that if we can talk about that ending um, whilst before the person's died, it can help us. And it also helps the person who is going through that process of, of, of dying. And the reason is because many of the wishes or some of the wishes that can be talked about in those stages, they can be, they can be aired. So it might be that those last, those, those end moments, you know, you've got a particular view about how you'd want them. The person who's, who's, who's in the process of dying might have a view as well. And if those can be observed or also what can be talked about and observed are the wishes after death, then it can help. It can, it can massively help people who are going to go through that bereavement afterwards. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Claire asks, uh, one of my close friends lost her dad last year and I wasn't able to attend the funeral and see her at that time. And now I feel guilty over not doing enough. Is there anything I can do now? So I, I th thanks for reaching out with that, with that um, question, Claire. I had someone come to me and say, you know, is it too late? Is it too late for me to, to, to help this person they wanted to support? Um, and, and the answer is, of course, it's never too late. Um, it's, I, I've seen it so much appreciated when even after a little bit of time, um, someone has reached back out and said, look, uh, I, I just want to say I'm, I'm really sorry for what's happened, for how the person, you know, for that person dying. And actually, um, I just want to convey that. I want to be here for you. Um, I've even heard people say, look, I'm sorry I wasn't there in those initial stages. I am here now. Um, and if you found it awkward initially to talk, then you're not alone. Most of us find it really difficult to know what to say and how to say and how to approach someone who has died, even though ironically, we'll all experience the death of someone close. We'll all die ourselves and we'll all, and, and those that love us will all experience that bereavement. So it's a universal experience, but we all find it really difficult to, to talk about. So, you know, if you go to someone, you say, look, I'm sorry I wasn't in contact, but I just want to say I'm here for you now. You, you know, you're not alone. Most of us have been in that situation ourselves or will be in the future, but yet we also want to help. So my, my you know, the key thing to remember is it's never too late and you can reach back out. And then the final question uh, from Matt is, uh, my wife passed away in April 2020 when there wasn't the chance to properly grieve with friends and family. Uh, now it feels like the world has moved on, but I haven't had the chance to do uh, the chance to do that yet. How do I do that? Well, Matt, I'm so sorry to hear that you lost, you know, I mean, that, you know, that would be the case. Hearts just reach out to everyone who's, who's experienced a bereavement and, and is, is, is coming on to this or viewing this. Um, a bit like what I said before, in that it isn't a case of moving on. It's actually how you might want to live with the memory of, of your wife, of, of, uh, for, for, for those that are listening who have experienced a, a bereavement and are thinking, how do I get from this point to the next? Um, what we often talk about is that Cruz is actually you know, at the beginning, grief can feel completely overwhelming or completely numbing, you know, it can be all-encompassing. And there can be this expectation for, from, from people, even for ourselves, that we must sort of move on and get to a point where actually that's all manageable and now we're, we're relatively okay. But the, the truth is, is we, we don't do that. That's not a human thing. What we can do, though, is we can, that, that grief that we have, the feelings that we have for someone, we can hold them and we can still remember them. What we can also do 
is build our life around that, you know, so that we can continue to remember the person who's died whilst also rebuilding that life and thinking, actually, what's my daily routine? You know, who are the people I'm going to see? Who are those that, that want to support me and I want to support too? Um, how do I want to work? How do I want to look after those that I currently care for? Um, all of these things are possible with that grief as well. You don't need to discard it and sort of like classically what some people say, move on. But actually, you can you can still carry on with that person's memories whilst you're also um, working out how you want to live. And then um, to end with, um, it would be good to know where people affected by the types of issues that we've been speaking about can find support. Sure. So we've got our website, so www.cruise.org.uk. You can go onto there, access our helpline, um, which is a free phone number. And then also there's a, there's a web chat function available if you prefer to type. Um, once again, if you're experiencing those um, difficulties that things have become more complex, perhaps there's some trauma involved, speaking with your GP or someone else who you've got contact with in health is really important. Um, there's lots of other uh, options for support as well. There's a really good app called Hub of Hope which is free to download. You can get that on your phone. I think you can get it on a laptop or other device now as well, where you can just find local services that are helpful to support in a number of ways as well as bereavement. Um, so they're just some options, really. And you'll find lots of other options available on our website too. Thanks so much to Andy for his time. You can find a range of support from Cruise through their website at cruise.org.uk. That is C-R-U-S-E org.uk and by phoning 0808 808 1677. If you're based in Scotland, you can find Cruise Bereavement Care Scotland at cruisescotland.org.uk. That is cruisescotland.org.uk. And phone their free helpline at 0808 802 6161. If you haven't heard of us, COVID Aid is the UK's national charity dedicated to supporting all those significantly affected by the COVID 19 pandemic. We provide a range of supportive services, advice and information, including hosting our COVID-19 support community, where we host courses and events such as this Q&A. Please visit covidaidcharity.org, that is covidaidcharity.org, and join our community at community.covidaidcharity.org. We'll be back soon with another episode, and until then, please take care.